And thank you for your giving in advance. A couple cartoons for everybody as we start the message today. How many of you feel culturally dialed in? Anybody feel culturally dialed in? Oh, nobody. All right. Well, let's try this. Two pack of M&Ms for 50 cents. Man, that's ludicrous. Do you get it? All right. Anybody know 1983 Eurythmics? They had a song like, uh, sweet dreams are made of these. All right. Well, there's a new one out. It's sweet dreams are made of cheese. Who am I to disagree? All right. That's pretty good. All right, and for all you scholars, what do you call a fake noodle? An impasta. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to study the Bible. We pray that when we leave here, we'll be joyful because we have a great God who's done great things in our lives. He's charged into the vast space between ourselves and him and brought us salvation and power and grace. We thank you, Lord. Amen. We're in a series on reaching our fullest potential, and I love watching y'all reach your full potential. We don't know what it is, because like a balloon, every time we reach our full potential, God inflates it a little more, and we have a little bit more uh, potential than we thought we had. And uh, the good thing about God's balloon is it never pops. But other than that, we just keep growing in our fullest potential. And I so enjoyed general counsel last last week in Florida. Uh, Randy Hansen did a 3D piece, and she was fifth in the nation in her art skill. And so congratulations to a teenager reaching her fullest potential. Bethany Kessler did a string art. The string art thing is pretty cool that she did. And uh, she sold them. She made one, and then somebody wanted to buy it, so she kept making them. And she raised over over $5,000 selling her string art for Speed the Light. Anyways... Yeah, that's cool. She was seventh in the nation. So uh, shout out to the Kessler family. We love their, uh, their love and their skills. And so now we're in a sub-series of the main series, Going to Your Full Potential in Christ. And the basic theory I'm presenting in the next four messages is that you can't reach your full potential alone. That, in fact, uh, you can't reach it by yourself and being an island. And, uh, in fact, you need friendships. You need, you need somebody that, one way I like to say it is everybody needs a cheerleader. Everybody needs somebody to come alongside and say, hey, you're looking good today. You're going to win. You're a champion. Uh, you got this thing. And you're more than a conqueror. You throw down some Bible verses. And uh, you need that friendship thing. And so uh, in your notes, uh, the fullest potential is enhanced by friendships and those friendships have three categories, according to my understanding of the scripture, association, loyalty, and affection. We'll take a look at this as we, as we follow along. Uh, anybody in the house from a long time ago at Muldoon Assembly? Let me hear you say, I'm an old guy. Can you, you might be too old to raise your hand if you've been there that long. In 1985, I became pastor. I was 25 years old, unordained, unmarried. I became pastor of Alaska's largest church. And uh, I needed a lot of help. And Clinton and Eileen Fick were on our team back in the day. Pastor and Mrs. Fick uh, were serving the Lord at that day. And and uh, great couple. I love the fix. They're both with the Lord now. And uh, he said, uh, I need to help you, Kent. And so he took me aside to give me some words of wisdom on how to be a 25-year-old pastor of a, of a growing church. And 
I thought he might want to talk to me about theology, he might want to talk to me about church, which would be called ecclesiology, he might want to talk to me about the Holy Spirit, which would be pneumatology. He said, Kent, I'm going to help you for your whole life in ministry. I said, okay, what is it? He said, people need help making friends. And you know, if you were to be here from uh, yesteryear, and you knew Clinton and Eileen Fick, you would know that their ministry was really helping Christians Make friends with other people, both Christian and non-Christian. And I don't know exactly why it is that we face this, uh, this difficulty in establishing friendships, but in fact we do. And I think it's fair to say that Alaskans are a little less gifted at it than a lot of other people. In fact, the reason we came here is to miss California. You know what I'm saying? And then Californians moved to Oregon, so we came here to avoid them in Oregon. And then they moved to Washington. And now some of you Californians are moving to Alaska. We don't, we don't have that friendship skill like uh, the rest of the world. And we're proud of our independence. And, and, you know, if we need a federal government, we'll create one. And, you know, we're just kind of that kind of people. But the fact of the matter is, we have the opportunity to do what this sub-series uh, is about. I'm reading a book called Creative Pairs. Uh, excuse me, I'm reading a book called uh, The Powers of Two, Finding uh, and Discovering Innovation in Creative Pairs. And it, 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 it's really about that you don't do well by yourself. Uh, so you have uh, Simon Dan. Garfunkel. You have uh, Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney. You have uh, uh, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. You have uh, uh, Warren Buffett and his financial partner. And this book is studying how people really need another person in their life. And in the introduction is this sentence that gripped my heart as a way to talk about this. As a result of this extensive research and study in creative pairs, the sentence is as follows. We know that we live our best li- we do our best work and live our best lives when we charge into the vast space between ourselves and others. We live our best lives We do our best work when we charge into the vast space between ourselves and others. I'm blessed over the years to have a lot of people being willing to charge into the vast space between me and them. Some of you at Baldwin Assembly long term will know we had a tall guy named Gary Cox as our youth pastor and I was the youth pastor before him and handed him a a regular weekly attendance of almost 200 people. Well, pretty soon it was down to 12. I said, Gary, I think you might be in the wrong slot right there. I'm not exactly sure, but this ratio isn't rolling the way I had planned. You are our worship leader. Is uh, I don't lead worship. I go, you do now. <laughs> and uh, today, it would be known amongst the uh, people in our, in our movement, Gary Cox is one of the finest worship leaders that ever, ever graced the planet. Uh, but Gary let me charge into that space and say, Gary, you're, you're not rolling as a good youth pastor right here, but you have a gift for worship. He let me charge into that space. 
Well, it wasn't without challenge. The first Sunday he led worship, he goes, here's what we're going to do. When I sing a song and the first letter is a B, I want this side to stand. When the second letter uh, is a B, I want this side to stand. So, you know, he's 6'9", he goes, my Bonnie lies over the... Uh, afterwards, I said, Gary, no more my Bonnie lies over the ocean on Sunday morning. That is called children's church. He goes, I feel duly corrected. <laughs> and... Uh, your, our church is better because Faye allowed me to charge into the space between Pastor Faye and I. By the way, she's in Malaysia today, been selected by Naomi Dowdy as one of 25 excellent women in the U.S. to go and train in Malaysia. And uh, so huge shout out to Faye. What a, what a great thing that is. Yeah, very cool. That we... We live our best lives and we do our best work when we let somebody charge into that space. And so with Pastor Fick, I, I realized that people really do need help making friends. When you Google friendship, and uh, I, don't see, uh, I don't see our philosophy majors here today, but when you Google friendship, it almost always will take you to Aristotle, 350 B.C., Aristotle uh, wrote kind of the, the philosophical foundation of friendship, uh, and he's quoted all over in circles of friendship. He said there's really three kinds. First of all, there's friends of utility, friends of utility, and these are friends that at the deepest level, they mostly just help you. So like my next door neighbor, Mr. Williker, I love this guy, he's a great friend, but mostly we help each other. When my lawn's too long, he mows it. When his lawn's too long, I mow it. When uh, he has clothes to give away, I'm the distribution center. Uh, we, we, we are friends at the level of utility. Aristotle says, secondly, there is the level of friendship called pleasure, friends of pleasure. These are your golfing buddies. These are your fishing buddies. Or if you're a woman in Alaska, these are your hunting pals. And, uh, and uh, these are the people that you don't really share your heart with, but you sure have a whole lot of fun together. Yeah, you, really, you really have that sense of pleasure. And then he says, uh, Aristotle does, the third level is called friendships of the good. And in a friendship of the good, you value who that friend actually is. I'm not, I'm not caring about what you do for me, and I'm not about how much fun I have when I'm with you. What I care about is you. I care about you as my friend. And you care about the strengths and weaknesses alike, Suzanne Deggs-White says from Psychology Today, and there is sufficient trust between the two that the relationship's quality and depth outshine those of other types of friendships. And so we're not in a philosophy class today, we're in a Bible class, we're studying the Word of God. And so long before Aristotle walked around 350 BC, we already had the foundings of the Old Testament. And then a li little later we ended up with the New Testament. And uh, scholars that I studied in the Baker's uh, Dictionary of Theology say in both Testaments, the idea of friend and friendship involved three components, association, loyalty, and affection. And then in fact, those are three levels of meaning, three levels of meaning in your friendships. Your associations have a level of meaning. Your loyalty, association, and loyalty friends have a level of meaning, and your association and loyalty and affection friends have a level of meaning as well. When I close, our altar call today will be a little different than generally speaking. 
after Holy Communion, I will ask you to take out your phone and text somebody that is a friend of yours that you associate with, to whom you are loyal, and to whom you have great affection. I'm looking forward to the text that you send out in just a little while. When it comes to the Bible on association, friends, we have quite a few illustrations. I've picked three. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. Judges 7.13. For this translation, when I don't, they say to us that the, the best word uh, for this translation is comrade. It is a friend, but it's not a, it's not a, a, a friend that is, uh, to whom you are loyal. It's not a friend to whom you have deep affection. It's a, it's a comrade. It's the person that uh, uh, maybe, this happens quite a bit. Uh, somebody will come in and say, my car battery died, especially in the winter. And one of you will go get your jumper cables and you'll go jump the car for them. And it's an act of friendship. It's beautiful. But there's no further loyalty. There's no deep affection. You are just happy to help. You are happy to, to be a comrade. It says in Romans 15 too, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. This is like, uh, you know what, I'm going to build you up. You're my neighbor. You're my, you're my friend. Uh, not showing a level of loyalty or a level of affection. Friendship has association plus loyalty. When you add to that association, you add loyalty. You find this in 2 Samuel 15, 37. So Hushai, David's friend, came into the city just as Absalom was entering Jerusalem. The idea here is that David's friend had a political uh, commitment to David. He had a, a, a political loyalty to David, but in fact, it wasn't an affection. It was an association and a loyalty. And then the third level is friendship as association plus loyalty plus affection. I would like to say that we want you to have great associations, we want people that associate with our people to go, man, it's just great to be associated with you. I mean, when we do something together, uh, like we do a lot of church uh, cooperative events where it's just an association. I want them to say, I love, I love being at uh, a great illustration. Howard takes a, a great amount of work to open our building for other churches' funerals. Most churches in Alaska are under 100, many are under 30, and they have, a, especially in a tragic death, they need a room that'll seat several hundred people. It's inconvenient to Howard. It takes a lot of work. We got to come up with sound men and screens and all the work and internet. But you know what? It is, it's great to be a great association for other people in their time of need. And uh, I appreciate that. Now, we don't have a lasting relationship with them. We're not trying to. We're just trying to extend an association. At the same time, we have this association and loyalty. You do not want to be known as disloyal. You do not want a lack of loyalty to be on your friendship resume. You want to be able to have people say, you know what? When I associate with you, I always see that you're loyal. It's a beautiful thing to see your loyalty. But there is a much cooler deal that we see when you add to that association and loyalty affection. Uh, I would like to counter something that is Western and needs to be removed from our culture. And that is somewhere the idea got in that the end of affection is sexuality. 
Somehow that creeped into the society that, that the end of affection is sexuality. Brothers and sisters, the end of affection doesn't need to be any more than brothers and sisters in Christ. You, you, uh, I've read this. Uh, uh, years ago, I read a study, and this lady said, the worst thing you can be in an evangelical church is a pretty, divorced, successful woman. Because if you're a pretty, divorced, successful woman, people will make you as a, as a marauder against all the men, and they'll push you out. Brothers and sisters, we do not need to push anybody out because the end of affection does not need to be sin. The end of affection can be a godly man and a godly woman in good friendship. Uh, anybody from overseas, you're not from uh, the U.S., let me see your hand, you're not a U.S.er, all right? Okay, several folks are here. Overseas, uh, uh, when I was in India at 18 years old, five, six, seven of us would be walking down the street, and all the men put their arms around each other like this and walk down the street, or they hold hands. And so I thought that kind of my background is like, that's affection, and that leads towards sin. Brothers and sisters, it's not affection leading to sin. It's just men showing that they have affection for men in their lives. It's just a lady showing affection for a lady. And so when it comes to friendship, if you're afraid that your friendship will lead to sin, I can see how you'd bail out. I can see how you'd say, I don't want to have anything to do with that. But in fact, association plus loyalty plus affection is a beautiful relationship, right? So I'm at a pastor's prayer thing about 25, 30 years ago. I'm praying, and I hear the Lord say to me, get up and go over there and tell Rick Benjamin you need to be good friends. I said, that is silly. I am not doing that. And I'm just like, oh, God, I resist you. <laughs> In Jesus' name, go away, right? And, uh, and I felt like, I felt like uh, can't go over to Rick Benjamin and say, we need to be friends. And my dad was pastor of Anchorage First Assembly. His dad was pastor at Abbott Loop. And the two of them always fought over fish. We wanted the same fish in the same boat. You know what I'm saying? We were fishing out of Abbott Loop, and Abbott Loop was fishing out of First Assembly. And, and like, hey, we... So I'm like, no, God, that's dumb. There's a tap on my shoulder. It's Rick. I go, yeah? He's crying. He said, God just told me to come over here and say we need to be friends. And I wish he had stopped right there. He said, kind of like going steady. Oh, yuck. How sick is that? All these years later, we're best friends. We're so good of friends that on Thursday and Friday, he let me charge into the vast space between my heart and his as his father went through the valley that left this life in Benjamin. And I got to be part of Rick's life when his father left this life and landed on heaven's shore to be able to say that somebody says, you know what? I'm going to open the space in my heart and I'm going to let you in. What a privilege to be let in. What a, what, a, what a privilege for somebody to say, you know what, I, 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 yes, I'm your associate, and yes, I'm loyal, but brothers and sisters, in the core of my being is such a delight to know that I have brothers in Christ for whom I have affection. Anybody value the word brother and sister in the body of Christ anymore? It's, it's pretty much gone. 
the worst uh, discipline of my life. I was about seven or eight years old, and I'm pretty sure I got spanked for a week and got put in my room for a year. I'm not exactly sure how that worked out, but our district superintendent was B.P. Wilson. And I'm about this tall, maybe eight, nine, ten, I don't know. And I said, Dad, what does BP stand for? He goes, I think it stands for Ben. I don't know for sure. I think it's Ben, Ben, Ben Wilson. He's our superintendent. Well, I come home from school one day, and BP Wilson, our superintendent, is in our house. So I go, hey, how's it going, Ben? <laughs> New, you do not say Ben to the district superintendent when you're a Redfern. You say, sir, you say, bishop, you say, brother. You say, brother to the superintendent. Because in fact, a respectful way we talk to each other is to value that friendship relationship called brother. There's something about there's something about, you know what? You're not only you're not only an associate, you're not only I'm not only loyal to you, but there's this affection that God's allowed to grow in our hearts. There's a there's this ability to say I I so appreciate you as a as a as a brother in Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul with Onesimus. Onesimus is a guy that's uh, in trouble and Paul's trying to help him out. And uh, I don't know why other people didn't visit Paul in prison. Maybe they were afraid if they visited, they'd be locked up in prison too. I don't know. But Paul's in prison and Onesimus comes and visits him. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. He was not Onesimus' dad. Onesimus had his own dad. But the Apostle Paul is declaring for us, it has moved beyond association and it has moved beyond loyalty. I have an affection for this guy named Onesimus. In fact, he's my child. He's my child. One of the great moments of my life was very embarrassing for me when, um, due to my dad's situation, I was embarrassed to be seen in the Assemblies of God circles, and I was on an elevator. I've told many of you this many times, and a guy said to me, what's your name? I said, Kent Redfern. He goes, as in Daryl, and I said, yeah, as in Daryl, and the general treasure was uh, Raymond Hudson, who was the last guy to pray for me before God healed me of my kidney failure, and Brother Hudson put his arm around me. He said his name name is Kent as in Hudson. He's my boy. There's something about Paul saying, you know what? I became your father when I was in prison. I know you got your other dad and I know that's rolling really well, but I've moved beyond this whole thing. I love you like a son. I mean, I, it, I, I love you. Look at verse number 12. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. Think for a second with me today, okay? If you're going to text your very heart in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to take out your phone and I'm going to ask you to text somebody that is your very heart. And to be able to say, you know what? It is such a privilege to be able to say, you are my, you, you are my very heart. It might be your wife. If you're unmarried, it might be a co-worker. It might be a, a friend from childhood. I, I don't know, but there is this whole level of an invitation of God into relationship with people who are like your very heart. For perhaps this has parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother. Amen. 
Amen. I got to tell you my favorite brother's story. You've heard it. If you go to him, see it very long, you've heard it a hundred times. But I like Neil Diamond. Sorry about that. Uh, my brother flew me to Phoenix to go to the Neil Diamond 50th anniversary concert. I went there and I was like 20 years younger than anybody else in the house. They're 18,000 80-year-olds. They're all singing, uh, sweet Caroline, bom, bom, bom. Well, anyways, he sings a song, He Ate Heavy, He's My Brother. And I like that song, He Ate Heavy, He's My Brother. Well, come to find out, it's a, it's a war story. And it's from Vietnam. And a U.S. GI is in the battle, and one of his comrades has been wounded. And he picks up the guy, and he's carrying him on his back, and he's walking his way back to safety. And a guy going the other way says, can I help you? He said, no, he's not heavy. He's my brother. There's something, there's something about brotherhood and sisterhood that says, you know what? You're not heavy to me. Your issues, your stuff, it's not, it's not heavy for me. I'm, I'm happy to be able to say, you're my brother, and it's a privilege to be with you. Knowing this, we have to ask ourselves why we resist it. Why, why do we resist uh, this beautiful delight of brotherhood and sisterhood? in the body of Christ. Number one is inertia. Inertia. It's that external and internal and spiritual resistance to just, to just get up off of where you're praying and go over to Rick and say, let's be friends. There's this, there's this anti-gravitational pull that pulls us away from the very people who love us the most, who care for us uh, beyond anything we could ever imagine. There's, there's, this, there's this resistance to just making the call, there's, to opening the heart. Number two, there's caution. Timidity and fear and self-protection become uh, challenges to this. I remember uh, training of uh, saying, when you come together like this, you come together like marbles. You come together and you collide. You don't, you don't, you don't accomplish anything. Your spirit's closed and, and you say you're married, but there's no, there's no life in it. You say you're best friends, but there's no life in it and, and there's no motivation. There's no inspiration. There's no encouragement. But when you open your spirit, you don't come together in collision. You open your spirit and now you come together in collusion. And when you come together like this, when you come together out of association and loyalty and affection, when you come together like this, inspiration happens, encouragement happens, motivation happens, things happen at the very core of your being. Thirdly, disappointment. Has anybody here tried to be the perfect friend? I try to be a perfect friend, and guess what? I'm not perfect. Sometimes I think I might be the world's worst friend. Other times I think, hey, I'm doing pretty good at that. Friendship is, is sort of designed because inside of us we have a God-shaped slot and we want this friendship need to be met, but only God can meet it. And, and so I try to put Alex in there and only to find out, Alex, you're awesome, Alex, but you're not that great a God. And I might try to fill a slot in your life, and, and I might be a pretty good Kent, but I'm a pretty small God. I'm a pretty bad God. What's that movie where the, the guy's flopping, the guy around goes, uh, puny God? You know, uh, when you have that little slot in your life, and, and you try to get, okay, my wife will fill that slot. Uh, 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 I'll tell you what, Paula will fill that slot. Paula is an awesome wife, but she doesn't fill the slot of God. And so every relationship known to man has its measure of disappointment. 
we have a measure of disappointment and, and we just sort of learn to navigate that because in fact we do our best work and live our best lives when we charge into the vast space between ourselves and others. In John 15, I think I have some uh, things I've gained from this passage. Jesus there is uh, filled with great wisdom as he always is. In my terminology, I can charge into the vast space between myself and others because I am loved by God. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. It's beautiful for me to charge into the space with my son, Jonathan, who's playing the drums, or my son, Daniel, who's playing the guitar today, to charge into the space between them and me because God loves me. But if I charge into the space because I need them to love me, I now come as a needy person in the equation, and it's going to be a dysfunctional relationship because I enter a relationship not because I need your love, but because I have received his love. And so the Bible says to us, walk in this love that I have. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Don't be a needy person. Let the Lord Jesus Christ fill your need for love. And charge in, in my case, charge in to Rick and Mel and Alex and Howard and Brian and, and uh, Julie and, and all the different people on our team. Charge into there, not because I need you, Alex, to meet my need, but I need you, Alex, because God has allowed me to be filled with his love. And I now come to the relationship as being fully loved by Jesus. I charge into the vast space between myself and the other with the same love I received from Jesus. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm having a hard time forgiving? I'm having a hard time loving? Well, that's because it's really hard for us to do. But this passage says, you don't do it. You just pass along the love that God gave to you. Notice the word of the Lord. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And so I charge into the space between me and the other, and I don't manufacture love. I don't create it. Uh, it's not mine. I'm the distributor of this great love that God has given to me, and you're the distributor of the great love that God has given to you, and, and you charge into that space fully loved. Now you give out the love of Jesus Christ. Number three, I charge into the vast space between myself and the other, knowing that I must lay down my life for the other. For greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is probably a great book. I've never read it because I don't like the title. The book is His Needs, Her Needs. I think it's helped a lot of people, but I haven't read it because I don't want to relate to Paula out of needs. I don't want to even start looking at, does Paula meet my needs as my wife? Here's what I need in my wife. Because if I understand correctly, I charge into the vast space between myself and my wife, not because she meets my need, but because I've been invited by God to lay down my life for her. I've been invited to say, he who gave me love laid down his life. Here I am, dead in my trespasses and sin, and God knows I have no hope of ever spanning the vast space between myself and God. So in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, uh, at born of the virgin, at just the right time. 
When we take the bread and the cup today, we celebrate that he charged into the difference between me and God, the vast space, and he laid down his life. And so when I look at you as my affectionate friend, I can't look at you as my affectionate friend who has all this for me. I have to look at it as you're my affectionate friend and I lay down my life for you. This is the best marriage ministry you get. Pastor Kent, it's all my fault. And she goes, no, it's my fault. You say, well, husband and wife are both saying, no, no, it's my fault. And here you are trying to help a marriage and the husband and wife are both saying, I'm trying to lay down my life for the other person here. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I charge into the vast space between myself and the other knowing that I must share my business. I must share my business. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. In other words, if you don't share your heart, you're associates. But when you share your heart, you can change from associates to friends. It says this, instead I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made it known to you. You're not blindly being a slave here. You're not blindly. That word uh, translated servant is uh, sometimes translated kind of like doulos. It's kind of translated in, a, in this uh, work relationship idea, not like slave master, but a work relationship. And do you have some friends that's all work relationships? They treat you like an employee. They, uh, but in this one, the Bible says, you know what? There is a relationship that when you share your business, uh, here's what I'm going through. Here's what I'm facing. Here's, here's the struggle that I'm having, or here's the joy. Here's the, here's the delight. Here's what I want to share. When you charge into that space and share your business, it's this most helpful thing. And uh, do you ever worry about the relationship where you're the only one sharing? It's like, this is all one-sided here. Then I charge into the vast space between myself and the other, knowing this is my choice. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I'd like for everyone to just relax for like five seconds in the fact that God chose you. Praise God. I am not worthy to be chosen by God. I do not deserve to be chosen by God. If I were God, I wouldn't choose me. But he charges into the vast space between me and God and his son Jesus and says, Kent, I want you to know, here in his love, not that you chose me, but that I first chose you to celebrate the fact that you have been chosen by God. I don't know. I'm so thankful, Howard, that you allowed me to be your friend. You chose me to be your friend. You didn't have to. Brian chose me to be his friend. He didn't have to. Jack, you chose me to be your friend. You didn't have to. We could go through the long list. But that Poppy, 88 years old, I'm 58. You got me by 30 years. And you let me in your life. You have no reason to let me in your life. You don't like my music. You don't like my clothing style. You don't, yeah, you don't like my hair. You know? But you let me in your life. To be chosen by Poppy. What a privilege to be chosen. Praise God, here in his love. Not that you chose me, but that I chose you. So my prayer for you today is that God will grant you grace to overcome relational inertia, overcome relational caution, and relational disappointment. I don't know this author, Emily Bronte, but this, this is a powerful sentence. Whatever our souls are made of, his and mine, are the same. Lord Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to invite Muldoon Assembly 
to overcome inertia, caution, and disappointment, and to establish relationships of association, loyalty, and affection. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't recall what I got for my first Christmas. I don't know when I went on my first outdoor picnic, but I do remember the first time I heard the sweetest voice in the wide world. You can sit here if you want. I had never seen anything so beautiful in my life. She was like an angel. We're going to sit down, aren't you? What's wrong with your legs? I'm nothing at all, thank you. My legs are just fine and dandy. I just sat next to her on that bus and had a conversation all the way to school. My back's crooked like a question mark. These are going to make me a Next to Mama, no one ever talked to me or asked me questions. Are you stupid or something? Mama says stupid as 